Is that love in the air or just pollution? How big did Gulliver's ass look to a Lilliputian? We may be broadcasting to you from an attic in South London, but this is a truly international show. Yes, the internet works in a lot of countries, Ollie. Must I explain this to you again? <laughs> and this email starts with a sentence that I feel could not be written by a Brit. Uh, uh-huh. It's from Erin in Ohio, who says, I recently moved to a new city, and I was able to meet some friends pretty quickly by going to neighbourhood potlucks. Can you explain to me what a potluck is? A potluck is informal party where everyone brings a dish. That's the potluck. Ah, a dish in the sense of cuisine, not as yeah. like your mother might say, ooh, that man at the gym's a bit of a dish. Or some crockery. It's some crockery filled with food. How common do you think a neighbourhood potluck is? I mean, Eric says it like it's a normal thing. She's in Ohio. I don't know what goes on there. I've not been. Because it, I've never had anything like that happen here. Not even for the Jubilee or whatever, where they say everyone have a street party. Have you ever had your neighbours gather together off their own accord? Everyone bring some food? No. The only event that had ever happened as a neighbourhood vibe at the block of flats where myself and my wife used to live in London was when someone burnt some toast and the fire alarm went off and Aww. everyone had to Hot wait luck. outside. <laughs> burnt toast for everybody. <laughs> for the firefighters to arrive. And that was the most socialising we ever did. And everyone was like, oh, hi, I live in number 36. Oh, I live in number 39. That's the only time we spoke to them. And I was determined when we moved to the quote unquote country that we would make more of an effort. So the first Christmas we moved out, 2013, we invited every neighbour in our row of houses round for a sort of mince pie and mulled wine affair. Yeah. It was fine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave the house for mulled wine or mince pies. Well, just as well you weren't invited, Helen, yeah. the people that turned up seemed very happy to be there. Oh, mince pie! Ooh! But then haven't invited us to anything since, so maybe the mince pies were horrible. Maybe they'll invite you to their mince pie thing at the end of this year. No, this was 2013. Oh. They've had three opportunities since to invite us for mince pies mm. and have failed to do so. That is awkward. Yeah, not, but, uh, not, not even like a picnic, not a barbecue, not a we're all going to the pub, nothing. Not, oh, I made some mince pies and I've got some spare. Here's a Tupperware with some spare pies in <laughs> Anyway, she says, there is this one guy who always goes to these potlucks who I'm quite interested in and I've been trying to casually flirt with. Is there flirting allowed at a potluck? I tend to find if you try to casually do anything, then it doesn't look very casual. That is so true. She says, I haven't really gotten anywhere with him. Mm. Maybe he doesn't like your mac and cheese. It's possible, isn't it? Anyway, Erin says, to my surprise, I just saw him on Tinder. Oh, it's like an electronic potluck, isn't it? A potluck where all is on the menu is each other's genitals. And commitment and love. Sometimes. Potentially. It's sometimes a one-course meal and sometimes a three-course meal. Yeah. So, Helen, answer me this. What should I do? If I swipe right and we don't match, that means that he saw me and wasn't interested which would make me feel shitty at subsequent potlucks. I mean, Sandra's off shrimp's going to do that. (laughs) But if I swipe left and he swipe right, he will think I'm uninterested. So do I do nothing? Do I do something? Woe is millennial me. To swipe right. Because even if he doesn't swipe right and you don't get matched, at least then you'll know. Whereas being trapped in the wandering will make you feel shitty and also add a bit of tension to the potlucks anyway because you'll be like oh am i flirting does is he getting my signals or is he rejecting my signals so i think it's probably better to know in this way that's not face to face so i think it's relatively low risk isn't it yes i agree wholeheartedly Yay! She's a, she's a... <laughs> we're on the same page uh, because she says woe is millennial me 
But actually what you have, Erin, at your fingertips is an ability that thousands of people in generations past would have loved to have had, dearly loved to have had yeah. at these neighbourhood potlucks, which is a technological icebreaker, which is, in theory, less embarrassing than having to say to him, you know, you've met each other, you've done some real life flirting. And now, now you know he's single and interested in women. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, That's Behind helpful. closed doors, you basically say, so how about it? And if he doesn't swipe, you just don't, you don't have to worry about it. You have to mention it again. Yeah. It's a time-saving device, surely. But isn't, isn't that thing where people say, oh, I just want to know if he's interested? Isn't what they mean most of the time, I, I just want him to be interested? Mm. Yeah, but you can't make someone be interested. No, you, you, you can't, but what I mean is it's, it's, a, it's an empty uh, wish. Actually, people don't want to know if they're interested. If they're not interested, they don't want to know if they are interested. Yeah, but you don't get to find out one without uh, the potential of the other. Uh, I mean, my uh, romantic advice is just try and avoid showing your real feelings because you might be d- disappointed. And well, she already has avoided showing her real feelings and she's already feeling disappointed, so she might as well go Good for work. a decisive verdict. Keep it up. Happy 15th anniversary, by the way, Martin. Happy anniversary. It's your 15th anniversary? Yeah a few days ago Martin what is it the 15th anniversary of do you know us becoming a romantic couple is there an event by which that's measured yes Yes. (laughs) and that's the last we'll hear about it email your suggestions now (laughs) answer me this podcast at googlemail.com here's a question from uh, Sam in Dunedin New Zealand is that how you say that I don't know okay sorry I don't know (laughs) (laughs) don't laugh don't laugh Helen answer me this why do they have a height chart positioned behind prisoners when they take their photo? Does Sam yeah. mean uh, when people are arrested? That's, yeah, that's traditionally when you... Have a mugshot, so there's a straight-on photo and a profile photo, and there's always some lines behind with height measurements. There's an obvious answer to this question, Sam, that I wonder did not occur to you when you were typing it out. Why do they have them? So they can tell how tall those people are. I suppose the nature of his slash her question is... Why is that important? They've arrested them. Why does it matter how tall they are? It doesn't have other facts about them. It's for future identification, because other factors of a person's appearance are apt to change. You can change your hair, your face, your weight, even your tattoos, and yet your height, barring the passage of several decades or mm. an extreme injury, mm. is liable to stay the same. Mm. And it's a, it's not a subjective measurement of someone's appearance. So yeah, short or tall is quite opinionated, but like asking about someone's build or even the colour of their hair, like that's not necessarily that empirical compared to mm. the mathematical height. Mugshots, I uh, found out, uh, were originated by a French criminologist called Alphonse Bertillon. And uh, this was because uh, around the time he was operating in the 1870s in France, there was a a big increase in uh, repeat offences, but really terrible record keeping. So all they had at most were people's names and addresses, both of which can be faked and very occasionally a picture because uh, photography had started. So they didn't know if they captured somebody, whether they had committed a crime before, any of that. So he developed uh, forensic anthropometry. Uh, So he would record lots of different physical characteristics, like the length of your limbs, your digits, the distance between your eyebrows and your nose, and the shape of your mouth and your eyes. And he also developed a lexicon for describing like the shape of your eyes and your mouth. Mm. But that lexicon was much harder to use than just taking a photo of people. So in all of that information with the length of your body parts, um, he included a photo. It was he who came up with having the classic mugshot, the front shot and the profile shot because he thought the ears were a particularly unique identifying characteristic. Hmm. When when was Bertillon developing this technique? Mugshots were adopted 
as a general policy uh, around 1888, the standard mugshot. But because around the same time fingerprinting was starting to come in and that was a lot more uh, likely to be correct if you're trying to definitely identify somebody uh, because otherwise you could mistake somebody for someone else if they had similar length shins and a similar face. Uh, so much of his Bertillonage system died out, but the mugshots remained. Hmm. I mean, it's a staggeringly simple idea in retrospect to yeah. take a photo and add it to things, but I suppose we're looking at it now from a world where... We've had photography for ages. Yeah, and we've all got a camera in our pocket. So the technological question now is why not take a photo rather than why take a photo? Yes. Whereas I suppose when taking a photo was expensive, that's a different thing, isn't it? And you wouldn't expect a police station to have a photographer unless you suggested they should be implemented. But also a photo of someone's face doesn't point out their height, and yet that is really going to be significant if someone says, I was mugged by someone who was six foot tall, rather than I was mugged by someone who's five foot. I'd actually appreciate being photographed in front of a height chart because I am taller than most people think. You're like six foot three, aren't you? Yeah, two and a half, yeah. What do you think you read us? 511? It's not that. It's that people... People think you're shorter than you are. They think I'm shorter. I I think it's... I think, I guess a lot of people encounter me first in audio form before they see a photo of me. And it's so hard to tell height from audio. They say audio takes two feet off, don't they? (laughs) Um, And I guess they, you know, create a mental picture in their mind of what I look like. And then even though they're challenged by that when they meet me, they still haven't quite got to grips with the fact I am actually quite tall. Mm. I'll tell you who was surprisingly tall, famous person when I met them, and I was shocked myself. Phil Spencer. Yes, Phil Spencer was surprisingly tall. Who's Phil Spencer? Uh, oh, Phil. Show oh, property. that Phil. Yeah, yeah, okay. I had a chat with him once without knowing who he was because I'd never seen location, location, location. I said, what do you do? He said, I'm an estate agent. He was very modest. Anyway, no, Michael Parkinson. Mm-hmm. Michael Parkinson is a strapping man. Mm. Even And I met him when he was 74 or something. He's a tall... He's like 74 feet tall. He's like a foot taller than me. No, he's tall. no, he's not. He is tall. Your sense of reckoning is poor, Ollie. Yeah, uh, you do have uh, historically bad uh, okay. w- apprehension of height. I, I met Clarkson, and he was surprisingly tall as well. He's, yeah, I'd expect Clarkson. He's to be a tall. good foot taller than me. Parky maybe is like halfway between. He can't be he's seven, seven foot seven tall. Feet tall. Jeremy Clarkson is a foot taller than me. And right, I'm googling now. Bullshit. How tall? I'm calling bullshit. I'll, 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 I'll do. Cl- I'll do Parky. I reckon Jeremy Clarkson. I reckon Jeremy Clarkson is six foot six. How much taller than you do you think Russell Brand was? Think of tall people you've met. Well, that was hard to tell because he was wearing heels and his hair was done up like an inch. Jeremy Clarkson is six foot five. That is two inches taller than you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He's No, he was much taller than well, me. Well, maybe he was wearing heels. Yeah, he probably was. He was wearing boots. <laughs> According to uh, the internet, Michael Parkinson was five foot ten. No, bullshit. He's definitely taller than me. Are you sure you're thinking Michael Parkinson? Yes, I'm thinking of Michael Parkinson. You don't mistake. One meter seventy eight, I'm seeing, which yeah, that's is what not I'm saying. that That's five foot ten. What about, are you thinking of Ronnie Corbett? <laughs> here's a question from callum who is 15 and from inverness i went to a mate's house there were four of us there when i piped up that it was four years to the day since the death of one of our other friend robbie's dogs meg r.i.p meg someone then had the bright idea that we should all get a slit in our eyebrow in memory of the dog teenage kicks a slit in our eyebrow you know yeah. the little shaven bits that people had like late oh, 90s like popular. Kate, like katie puckrick katie mm. puckrick's was a scar yeah, she ran into a rosebush when she was a kid. Yeah, so she didn't shave it in memory of a dog or any other thing. Uh, Callum says, I thought doing slits for Meg was a stupid idea. Because it is. However, being a 15-year-old, I bowed to peer pressure. And since the other three had gone and given each other one, I agreed that they could give me one. However, one of my friends got rather excited and ended up shaving off half my eyebrow. Ugh. Ollie, answer me this. 
How long does it take for half an eyebrow to grow back? I've got school in a couple of days and may have to resort to my sister's makeup. You will have to resort to your sister's makeup. Mm. Um, it takes, I mean, there's varying different opinion on the internet, but uh, for a young adult in general, following plucking, now plucking is more rigorous than shaving, obviously, yeah. but following plucking, you're looking at about 65 days Ooh. for full regrowth. So you're going to wow. have a stubbly phase for a while. Yeah, although but shaving is different. I mean, uh, plucking decreases the odds of regrowth at all. Yeah. Um, so shaving, I mean, let's say, let's be liberal about it and say shave 20 days off that. Yes. You're still looking at at least five weeks, I would say. You are also always rigorously advised never to shave off your eyebrows because a lot of people in the past did that and drew them back on and then the eyebrows never grow back in the same way. And I don't know how true that is or whether you do actually damage your hair follicle or something by shaving that part of yourself. But I wonder whether the makeup as he's not an expert at applying an artificial eyebrow, would just draw attention to the fact that something is awry with his eyebrows. Yeah, you're going to have to basically just get used to the fact that you're going to be known as the dude with half an eyebrow for five weeks. People will forget. I mean, a lot happens in a school year. Yeah, and also the kids that had pranks played upon them, I think, were actually more sympathetic than the ones who had effectively pranked themselves. Yes, that's true. If you'd done it because you thought it made you look well hard. Yeah. That's actually, you're right, in the long run, something that will be sort of round your neck like an albatross. Whereas, uh, yeah, if you're the victim of a prank, everyone will laugh at you for children do cling on to jokes. Let's yeah. call it six weeks. I, I think a few years. Um. <laughs> this is until you leave the school, Callum, but you're 15. So it's only a few years away. Yes, exactly. But it will it will eventually disappear and people won't hold that against you. Um, remembering the uh, heroine of some teen novel I read back at the time where she tweezed out her eyebrows and just got big scabs and mm. uh, she was allowed to wear big sunglasses to school because her principal took pity on her. Oh, nice. Okay. That would be a solution for Callum, though. Get some glasses. Just to visually distract people. Right, yeah. Callum... Also says, or he answer me this, how wrong is it to take the mick out of a mate for their dog dying? To be fair, the dog was charged by a bull on Hogmanay. Is there a funnier way for a dog to die? <laughs> is there a funny way for a dog to die? Because dead dogs, generally, most people don't find funny. I disagree with you on that, Helen. And I, I don't find dead dogs funny, but I think actually uh, the majority of the British public do find dead dogs funny. No, Brits are really touchy about well, dead dogs, Ollie. Yeah, they claim to be, but they I are. mean, Simon Mayo has been doing confessions for three decades now, and there's a lot of dead dogs in those stories. I've heard a lot of like, ho-ho, and then the dog went in a washing machine type stories on the radio and people seem to find it amusing afterwards. It's not amusing at the time when your dog dies. That's the thing to take into account, Callum. It is wrong to take the mick out of your friend because a dog dying is an upsetting experience, especially a dog murdered by a bull. I don't know. I mean, I was really sad when my last cat died, um, but now I think it's kind of funny that he did die by filling up with water. What? Yeah, he had like some weird um, thing on his lung. Oh, so he drank water and couldn't piss it out. That's not funny. It's kind of funny. No. <laughs> because he used to swell up like a balloon. And we have to take him to the vet and get him drained. I mean, getting a cat drained is funny until it's fatal. Yeah, yeah. But I, I see the humour in it now. Mm. In a way that I wouldn't if I was describing my grandfather. To be honest, Callum, I think this is the kind of thing that when you're older, you'll be like, well, 15-year-olds are callous. I think find another thing to take the piss out of your mate for. But also remember that you have half an eyebrow, so you're not really in a good position to take the piss out of people. <laughs> I've got a question. Email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. To answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. To answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. 
to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. We're quite a few months away from the traditional time of the year when all the wedding questions come flooding in, um, and yet already uh, we have an absolute corker from our mailbag. Well, people are always getting married. Well, all through the year. You speak more truth than you know, Helen. No, I speak the exact amount of truth that I know, which people get married all year round. Yes, but the, the point is, uh, the, the thing about people getting married very frequently, uh, that is very relevant to this particular question. Uh, it is from Jay, who says, A few weeks ago, myself and my long-term partner got engaged. Congrats. Yeah, mazel tov. But there is a small complication. We are both already married. No. Fortunately, oh, wow. he says... We are both married to each other. Yay! What? Yeah. We had kids quite soon after getting together. And Uh whilst we wanted the legal securities that marriage provides in such cheery eventualities as one or both of us dying... Lovely things to chat about in the early stages of a relationship. (laughs) We couldn't face the logistical shitstorm which is organising a marriage, especially as we were already handling the logistical shitstorm presented by having three kids under the age of five. Congratulations on still being married at this yeah, point. That's not so much a logistical shitstorm as a logistical shitquake. As a literal shitstorm. Um, <laughs> exactly. We didn't tell anyone we were getting hitched, as the idea was always to do it properly at some point in the future. Mm. And we knew that there would be a determination from parents to ramp up what just felt like a necessary administrative process at the time that's why you tell them just after it's happened but like on the day on the day so it's too late for them to have this administrative process but you don't have this secret life that you've now had no no that's take it from me i have friends who did this and it was a mistake they should have told them on the day be precise did what exactly i have got married secretly they got married secretly they told their families six weeks later and their families were really upset yeah but why is on the day better because on the day uh you can be like oh we got married it seems spontaneous and you're not keeping a secret because it's just happened right but if there's secret keeping in the intervening time then families get upset okay. and families are apt to get upset anyway about weddings that haven't happened yet so ones that have happened also a matter of upset families get upset about weddings everyone knows okay i i see that but i i the way you're presenting it as if somehow they won't be upset on the day if you call them and say we got married and you weren't here they will be less upset than if you call them on any subsequent day they'll be less upset okay i I see the mathematical formula some of them will just be so surprised that they won't have time to be upset but they will definitely be more upset the longer you leave it okay Mm -hmm. well they did leave it helen so this advice is useless to jay you should have emailed years ago (laughs) so jay continues Now the youngest child has started school, we feel like things are sufficiently together for us to organise a big bash, and we'd like to do so before the children get to such an age that they are all gangly and sullen. I like the way you're timing this. Yes. It's uh, while you've still got the spirit left for it, but before they don't. But yeah, and whilst their eyebrows are still intact. Uh, The issue is that parents on both sides will be massively offended if they discover that we are already married, especially as there has been pressure from both sides to do just that. Oh, no. In fact... A lie. A lie has been enacted for years. (laughs) There was even an explicit mention from my mum that she would be, quote, mortified if any of her children had got married without her being present after one of her friend's daughters did just that in a similar situation to ours. She was probably trying to smoke you out. They definitely aren't aware at this stage, and they are very excited about the wedding. So he's got them hook, line and sinker at the moment. Mm-hmm. They think that Jay is getting married to his partner and mother of his three children mm-hmm. for the first time, mm-hmm. but in fact they are already married, and the whole thing is a sort of Mike Lee, 
Woody Allen style lie upon a lie. Mm-hmm. All Excellent. these secrets and lies. So, Helen, it was uncanny. So, Helen, answer me this. Is it possible for us to get through the whole wedding, which isn't really a wedding, it's just effectively renewing our vows, without us revealing that we are already married? Mm. Or will it inevitably come out in the nuptial wash? Uh, it won't be a church wedding, if that makes any difference. I don't know, because I didn't have a church wedding. I think you could probably collude with a registrar, if you're in Britain. Uh, that that would be who uh, would be officiating, if not a religious officiant, um, to do the bit where you sign the certificate to either have a fake certificate or go out of the room and you just carouse around for a bit but what basis are you are you saying that on because i think the significance of mentioning the church wedding is his thinking is that a man or woman of the cloth wouldn't want to collude in such a lie why do you think a registrar who in my experience take their jobs as seriously albeit not with the element of faith why do you think they'd be up for dicking about why don't you ask them what their procedure is well like if you're already organizing the wedding you must have a thought as to who you want to conduct the ceremony Mm. and if it's a registrar why don't you ask them how they do it for vow renewals and then say we also have reason for this to seem like it's the first time round, but obviously it isn't. What can we sign that will look legit? This is a bit like that episode of Rev where he wants to perform a gay wedding, but he can't because he's a church reverend, so he ends up doing a blessing and it's basically a gay wedding. Right, I haven't seen that episode. I've just described it for you. It's uh, like yeah, that you have. in the sense that the registrar might have a lot of sympathy with you, but he or she is unlikely to lie at their place of work in front of everyone. So, you know, they may well, you're right, come up with a solution for you, but you are really playing with fire, I think, because... Well, you've well, got to trust another person, haven't you? Not to blab. Well, my feeling is that it would be worse for your family to find out on the day than in advance. But then, Helen, your theory was when it came to the first wedding, they should have told them on the day. Well, Maybe I'm... that stands true for this too, and they should tell them at the second wedding that it is the second wedding on the day. No, I'm thinking if they've got to this point, they probably should just keep the lie going until their graves. Because they've been comfortable <laughs> enough to propagate it for several years already. So I reckon they can get through this. But if they have a humanist ceremony, which is not the legally binding part, but I have seen a bunch of friends do, where they had the legal wedding in an office, maybe with not many people there, and then the kind of official wedding was with a humanist. If your parents are primed to be expecting a legal wedding, they will probably wonder when that part took place. So I think you have to have something to put them off the scent with that unless they don't know how weddings work. Ah, well, yes, maybe you say to both sets of parents, we are having a humanist wedding, we want you there for the ceremony, we don't want people to be at the legal bit, we just want our witness... Just for paperwork, yeah, yeah, exactly. If if you're doing it in Britain, because other countries have different uh, ways of doing weddings. We're getting married in a really drab registry office, it's not the big day we want for... only get an appointment at 9am on a Tuesday, really far from where you both live. Yeah, and we we need you to look after the kids, and then actually lie and pretend that you've done it that morning, whereas in fact you haven't at all. But the problem with all these plans is that that, um, the signing of of the certificate, the register, um, requires witnesses. Yes, but it doesn't require them to be your parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but what if in that situation, who else would you pick? It, it doesn't matter because it doesn't really happen. It they does, just tell it, their parents. It, it does, but it just got some witnesses off the street. Why we just got witnesses Why? off the street, Martin. That's what people always Why say in the films. would you get witnesses off the street when you could ask No, no, you take your best man. Take your best man. And, yeah, and maybe, maybe. Well, then your parents would be like, well, they took them one, they're not taking me. If they're taking you, it this seriously. You make it sound like a nice thing. You say, we don't want you to come and witness the boring paperwork. We're doing that in the morning with the best man and the bridesmaid. Yeah. That's how you have to do it. Or I've got another solution, which oh, is actually, this it, is sort of like Jonathan Creek-like, staggeringly simple solution. Is it get divorced and then get <laughs> legally remarried at this? I think no, that because is if you the... die on the way to the wedding, that's a nightmare for your wills. Although I think that is the best solution that we've come up with. <laughs> that's a good one. It's hire an actor to be the registrar. 
Mm-hmm. Your parents aren't going to oh, know. like Axel Rose at the November Rain video. Yes, exactly <laughs> like that. But your parents don't have to know that that's an actor. They can be quite aloof. They can be quite a bad actor even because registrars can Mowage. be quite awkward people, civil servants, basically. Sweet Mowage. <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, I'm thinking really of Ted Danson in Three Men and a Little Lady. Oh, that's yeah, what yeah. you're going for. But uh, you are piling lie upon lie. That's what we're suggesting. Yes, Just you, keep on lying. Exactly. You've lied this far. <laughs> Those keep are the two the options, though, aren't they? The two options are fess up. Don't. D- or do- don't. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're doing don't, then it does involve more lying. Those are the two options. Do you think there's a case to be made for fessing up? Yes. Why? Because it's better. Like, the amount of anxiety that he's clearly feeling in every pore of this email. I don't think he's feeling that anxious. I think that anxiety is legitimate. I relate to it. And it's not going to get better by doing this. This, this That's e- why. This does not read to me like an anxious email. This reads to me like someone going... Uh, I'm not asked about this, but they will be. Can you give me an excuse not to tell them? And I'm doing that, Jay. The question is, if you come out and tell them the truth, will the bubbling anxiety ruin the big day? Or is it better to lie one more time and then tell them afterwards? All right, if you're com- when at least they did see what they thought was the wedding. Okay, so basically, if you're comfortable with the lie, keep on lying. Mm. And if you're uncomfortable with the lie... Um, tell the truth. She couldn't even say the words, Martin. That is, of course, tell a the, concern. Uh, tell the <laughs> tell the truth. <laughs> tell the, <clears throat> no, I can't do it. Um, I mean, the thing is, you've got you got a shit sandwich, haven't you? You great wedding breakfast. <laughs> well, you get you get your friends to help with that. Um, you can say to your parents, you know, look, this is the thing, uh, but we're telling you this because we want to do this properly now, mm. and we haven't been able to because. Yeah, this is this is our chance to celebrate our marriage. Oh yeah, that's the thing. We did it just for the paperwork. It wasn't a wedding. It wasn't you didn't miss our wedding. It was yeah. just for the pa- yeah. just keep yeah, emphasizing. He said paperwork. that his mother specifically. Well, then you have to carry on the line. No, she, she'll be she'll be pissed off. But if you then say, and we're going to have a massive wedding, and you're going to be the center of it. <laughs> we got married, but we didn't want the wedding until the children could wear really adorable tiny suits. And frocks, because everyone loves seeing kids in formal wear at weddings, right? Everyone loves seeing everyone, kids in formal wear. You don't yeah. want to waste that opportunity, so you saved it. That's the argument. <laughs> Thank you. Something that is always delightful in this month of love that uh, includes St. Valentine's Day, of course, just around yeah. the corner. Because there is nothing else good about February. February is a bleak month. Absolute ball of piss. T.S. Eliot lied. Not April. <laughs> April's fine. <laughs> February. Especially this one. Uh, Something that always makes it better is the opportunity to re-listen to the Answer Me This Love album. Well, the opportunity to listen to it if you haven't already done that. That's right. If you didn't buy it last year when we released it for the first time, then it's new to you. The Love album, like all of our original albums, is uh, around about an hour of uh, never released on the podcast feed Answer Me This questions and answers on the subject of romance and dating and vaginal liquid. It's a real joy. It is a real joy, uh, which you can buy right now at answermethisstore.com. And iTunes and Amazon. But if you buy it from us, we get more of your money. Thank you. But if you're thinking, no, I like to try before I buy, here is an extract for today's intermission. Time for a question from Jay from Manchester who says, I am a happy, young, 24-year-old gay man who happens to be in a wonderful relationship with the love of his life. Sadly, we live literally hundreds of miles away from each other, but we are modern and open-minded enough to be in an open relationship until we are able to live closer to one another. Uh, Occasionally, says Jay, I will find myself in the chambers of another man. (laughs) So elegant. uh, Who I may not yet be carnally acquainted with, but will end up playing hide the sausage before the night is through. 
being a sensible sort, the necessary safety precautions must be in place before the sideways samba commences. <laughs> okay, he means barrier contraceptives, correct? He does, yes, not seatbelts. Or crash helmets. Indeed. Uh, but this usually interrupts the smooth transition of foreplay into intercourse and is often quite abrupt. For people who I am more familiar with, such as my boyfriend, there is no problem with this particular step as they can utilise their sexy magic, Mm -hmm. like putting the condom on with their mouth. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for new partners, the safety step is often like interrupting an intricate waltz with a sledgehammer to the knee. Uh, I suppose you could literally turn it into a magic trick. Hide your your partner's ear (laughs) (laughs) Like a 50 pence piece Now do do you remember Paul Earlier this evening I asked you to pick a card (laughs) What's the birdie (laughs) And now what could be more romantic Than to take a question from our question line Do you need me to list things that could be more romantic Because I'd say 70% of things I mean, I'm I'm keen that these episodes now we're just once a month are slightly longer, but I think you literally listing everything that isn't more romantic than that. Yeah, is, but uh... it's not you that checks all our voicemails. And let me tell you, a lot of them are just people going... <laughs> so excuse me if I can think of more romantic things than taking questions from our question line. Anyway, if you want to leave us a message that is preferably not you making fart noises with your mouth or your bottom, then uh, here's the number to dial. <laughs> Or you can Skype answer me this. Or you can record a voice memo and just email it to us at the usual address. Whatever it takes. Hi, Helen, Ollie. Um, I'm Charlie, currently exiled somewhere in Derbyshire, but previously from Letchworth. Helen, Ollie, answer me this. What actually is uh, a garden city, it being, of course, the world's first, uh, and then going on, obviously, to... The wonder that is well in Garden City. So Charlie has been inspired by his hometown of Letchworth, finally to wonder what is a garden city such as Letchworth. Oh, evidently a place that lulls the curiosity. Because <laughs> you're already in Eden, so why wonder about anything? Well, if only, Charlie, I had to hand a copy of my 1996 essay, Ebenezer Howard, King of Letchworth. Wow, uh, this sounds good! I wrote for my GCSE geography class, scoring me a uh, very wholesome B. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I don't I don't have that essay to hand, so I'll just have to use my memory here. Um, folks who are new to the podcast might not know, I sort of grew up in Letchworth Garden City. I went to school there, but it was a boarding school. So between the ages of 10 to 18, I basically lived in Letchworth. And I used to go quite a lot because my grandparents lived there and we used to go to one of the swimming pools in Letchworth. Correct. That's our Letchworth background. So we Carry have shared on. Letchworth heritage. Up into Hitchin. Doesn't count. Not the same. Not a garden city, Martin. Although, Shut it. Hitchin now, full of hipsters. Is that? You did it heard, before. Yeah. yeah. Priced out of St Albans. It is totally that, yeah. Is it the hipsters? <laughs> anyway, part of the GCSE geography course at my school was a whole unit on the history of Letchworth as the world's first garden city. Ooh. Uh, so, a garden city, as imagined by Ebenezer Howard, who was this utopian visionary, uh, I think around about the end of the 19th century, mm-hmm. uh, is a planned... So, like, properly architecturally drawn, but self-contained community surrounded by Greenbelt. So it's got to be a a place that is self-sufficient. You can live there and not leave there if you want. You don't need to go to a bigger city to get what you need. But it's not urban living because on every street and every corner there is nature. There are trees, there are gardens, and all around the perimeter of it there's Greenbelt because he was effectively building a a brand new city in what used to be uh, Brownfield and and Greenbelt 
countryside. Um, so that's the principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> he was disappointed with how Letchworth turned out. Utopias just very rarely seem to work out well. Britain doesn't have a great track record with planned towns, does it? Although Letchworth has um, quite a bit of charm. The bits it, of it I've seen. It does, but it's interesting. It's the same thing that's happening now. The government is actually now, by the way, promising new garden cities for the yes. next 10 years in Ebbsfleet and Bicester and places like that. Uh-huh. And the um, same thing's going to happen, basically. History will tell you what will happen. They'll promise affordable housing. That's what Ebenezer Howard was all about. Ebenezer Howard was all about let the working class move from the slummy bits of London to live in the open bucolic countryside. Right, so he was kind of ahead of the movement for the uh, utopian suburbs that was like the thing in the 50s. Yes, although the idea of a suburb at all was kind of anathema to him because he thought that it was better to live centrally uh, and have access to the city but also have the countryside. Um, But yes, like Hampstead Garden Suburb was kind of influenced by his ideas even though he'd have hated it. Um, But when they actually built Letchworth... Uh, they made the houses too big and too utopian and Aww. so only middle class people could afford them. Oh. So it never quite managed to match his idea of the kind of people that would be living there. Um, and it is only something like 34 miles from London or something. So it is uh, quite a sensible place to commute from to the city. So it never quite was self-sufficient either. Most people in Letchworth have connections to London somehow. How did it work out with slightly later ones like Welling Garden City? So you can sort of see when you go to Welling that it is a more successful rendering of his idea of a garden city utopia than Letchworth is. Do you know how much later it was? Uh, like 20 years or something. Oh, okay, so not loads. In his lifetime, yeah. But enough. Yeah, and it was his It was his fuck you to the people that had screwed up Letchworth <laughs> in his view. Like He was mm. like, I'll show you a great Hertfordshire town. Um, <laughs> but the problem with Wellin is even though it is, I think, uh, aesthetically more pleasing, I, I don't really have the architectural vocabulary to explain mm. why it's a better garden city, but I just know that when I go there, even now, and you walk around the town centre, it just feels like a more relaxed and friendly place to be that works better. It is closer to London. So on the self-sufficiency point, it fails. Because, again, like really pretty much everyone in Welling commutes to London for work. But um, they didn't make that many garden cities, did they? The new towns that were later, like Cumbran and Telford, where Martin grew up, mm. I don't believe were counted as garden cities, were they? Even they though weren't. Telford is surrounded by greenery. They weren't, but ideas obviously begat ideas. Mm. Garden cities around the world. I mean, in the United States, there are dozens of them that are influenced by Letchworth, weirdly. Mm. But the most uh, high-profile city to be inspired by Letchworth actually I would say is Christchurch New Zealand believe it or oh, not is effectively is a garden city charming yeah which is odd because uh, my wife's sister who's also from the Letchworth region said that she felt weirdly at home in Christchurch <laughs> and I was like yeah whatever but now I read that I kind of think oh that's really interesting that they have architectural principles in common may I recommend uh, a book by a friend of the show John Grindrod Concretopia which is about the post-war rebuilding of Britain very fascinating on this topic but also because uh, so often these places failed because architects don't necessarily think about how humans behave. And uh, so there were a lot where like, they'd build these lovely big strips of green land up the middle of residential streets and instead of the kids playing out on them all the time and it being like a lovely meadow, it just made people feel really isolated and they'd become these barren wastelands. I guess also if you build it too much around a few industries, I mean, you couldn't know this, could you, at the turn of the 20th century, but the big tenant in Letchworth was Spirella, which was a corset maker. Mm. Corsets obviously went somewhat out of fashion across the 20th century, and by the 1980s they'd closed down. Because that was before the boned bra that Letchworth was built. No, it was just... And when I was at school in the 90s, the Spirella factory was this weird, creepy, empty, sort of like the kind of 
building that would feature in a Stephen King novella, you know, <laughs> just this sort of empty shell that had weird people in it. Or Tim Burton film. They tried the old golden ticket thing and just uh, <laughs> no one came forward. It has now become some kind of uh, communal shared workspace thing um, that's still called the Spirella building and they've taken the guts out of it and, you know, that's fine. But it took like 25 years for them to find a function for it. Mm-hmm. But I guess if you imagine Letchworth as it was intended with the majority of people in the town working there or working in a place like that, the shredded wheat factory is in Welling, or was. The idea was there would be these these central factories where the working class people from the area would work, and then they'd have a middle class type existence around it. And it's basically never really delivered that, mm. which is a bit sad. I suppose once you've built a town, society might have uh, moved beyond what you had thought about its functions. Well, that's the issue, isn't it? Yeah. Ah. But it did spawn the ideal home show. Yay! The, uh, the Cheap Cottages exhibition, as it was originally called. Really? Yeah, was That's, created. I like the way they've changed the name to something a bit more appealing. A bit more aspirational. Yeah. yeah, I think when the Daily Mail got on board, they were like, guys... The shitty prefab <laughs> show. <laughs> the shitty prefab show will not sell. Uh, but yeah, the Cheap Cottages show of 1906 was all about selling designs for Letchworth. Sort of preempting the tiny house movement, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah. And of course, uh, without Letchworth... And the Quakers that bought up lots of the property there, you wouldn't have had the school that begat me and other Mm. opinionated twats. I'm in a weird situation now where this sounds like humble bragging, but it's just a a fact. Following the very sad death of A.A. Gill a few months ago, Mm. uh, I think, I mean, it's, it's subjective, but I think I might be the most famous graduand of my school sounds like a pretty Whoa. shit school who are the other uh, so the graduands? other contenders are the late michael winner so the late michael winner and the late a.a gill so uh who else is there like any uh, so, so, so okay so, you know, the people the people who are alive this is what i'm saying the people who are alive there's uh sonia friedman the theater producer yeah sorry i think she probably still outranks you well she's uh more notorious and she's achieved more yeah. But I don't know that she's more famous because she's a behind the scenes person. It's true, but she has achieved more. I, I know, but I wasn't saying I wasn't saying who'd achieved more. I said most famous. I'm like I said, I'm not trying to be I'm not saying I'm famous. She doesn't don't. have a gold Sony award, I'm but just, she has probably achieved more. I'm just saying like, That's not a fair criteria to judge Ollie against. I reckon one in ten thousand people has heard of me and maybe one in fifteen thousand people has heard of her. I'm not who, saying well, either of us are famous. Anyone else? Is that it? Yeah, George Lamb. Oh, mm. George Lamb's more famous than you. Well Yeah, he is. Still? Yeah, 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 he is. Okay. I mean, I'm prepared to accept that. I'm not. I, I mean, just just based on the number of women whose sexual awakening was linked to George Lamb, I think. I think. <laughs> what? You, how would you know how many women sexually awakened to George Lamb? He's, he's, I did a survey. You never quite understood what he was up to at that university of his, did you, Helen? Now you know what all those data graphs related to. How tall is George Lamb to you? About nine foot five. <laughs> yes, that's accurate. He's very tall. He's the tallest taller man than me. alive. Anyway, I'm, I'm that's ha- why he's more famous than you because he's in Ripley's Believe did, did It or Not. But what like it to your school? I'm happy for George Lamb to be the most famous graduate of my school. That's fine. I don't want to be. I'm yeah. just saying, like when A.A. Gill died, I did think. It's is me. it me? The mantle is upon me now. Is it me? I am Harry Potter. Because there's there's a quarterly newsletter that goes out from our school to our. They call it the Old Scholars Society. And do they rank all of the old scholars? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. But there's a. If you're just like a normal person who doesn't have a career in the public eye, mm-hmm. you once every like seven years when you have a baby or something or get another degree, mm-hmm. you write to the magazine. Yes. And you say, I'm in, in 2006. I married Jeff, and we're I living know, happily in a I've farm got in an Yorkshire. Alumnus magazine too. Right. So it's like that. But if you're famous, there's a section at the back where the editor has basically been trawling Facebook about you oh. and found a few things. So when I left school when I was like 18, 19, all of that back section was about Michael Winner and A.A. A. Gill. 
And increasingly, that back section has become about me. The Ollie Man pages. So it's just a bit weird. Um, mm. So yeah, so that's you know. But I'm glad. I'm you know, Sonia Friedman. We can all agree she's achieved more. No, we don't, because uh, you don't agree she's achieved more. I do. I think she has. Okay. The Book of Mormon is a good thing. Do you think they've got a spreadsheet where they can order the old scholars by age, attractiveness, <laughs> and success? And then every year they just uh, order the column by success. I, and, I think uh, they play, probably play top trumps in the common room. A man achieved. Oh, got Ollie Mann. <laughs> <laughs> sexual awakening. I've got Ollie Mann! That's a far more worrying thing. How many people had their sexual awakening to thought of you? No offence. <laughs> but I imagine not One. zero. No, I think I think maybe a few because of this podcast. And, and right back at you. I think Thanks. there are men listening to this who have wanked off to the sound of your voice, Ellen. <laughs> Hey, yes. what about man came up to the side of my voice? I'm sure, that's I'm, right here. I'm sure that's happening right now. <laughs> I hope so. Okay. Teenagers get bonus about anything. <laughs> <laughs> this section is doing it for some 14-year-old somewhere. I don't know. I reckon uh, the older man is my demographic. <laughs> and I think their favourite thing to wank off to is you promoting Squarespace. So <laughs> you're in luck, folks. Here it is. Get ready. I put my picture on Tinder but nobody swiped right I went on Match and OkCupid, no suitors would bite My body clock is ticking and I need to find my Mr. Right Or at least a willing donor With a personal website built through squarespace.com You can edit text and pictures till you look like the bomb And if you don't find a man at least be comforted by the peeping toms It's a cold comfort, I just want to be loved. Squarespace help you make a website that functions well across desktop and tablet and phone without you having to know how that works on all the different formats. And you can host a podcast, you can have the menu up for your restaurant, you can have a gallery, you can do a blog, you could just have some white space because you think, oh, this is giving me the mental serenity that I need to get through this life. You can do all of that with Squarespace. You can. Christ, that was a long sentence. but I, I did not say, know where a... that sentence was beginning <laughs> or ending. And uh, the middle took me to places. But, you know, if you're a wordsmith, then Squarespace is a great place for you to host a website as yeah. well. Especially if you're not a codesmith. Quite as, right. As I'm not. But uh, I managed with Squarespace uh, very competently. Um, but you can go and have uh, a play around for two weeks with Squarespace without having to cough up any money. And then if you think, yes, this really is a beautiful website. It does me proud. And more importantly, it contributes something important to society at large. Give it to the world now. Um, <laughs> all you need to do is give them your credit card details. But wait, mm. if you use our special code, you get 10% off. And that code is... Answer. Answer. This is Scott from Manchester. Answer me this. Were the vampire bats named for the mythical vampire creatures or were the bats named for the vampires? And which were the boy band the vamps named after? Ah. Who are the vamps? You're too old, Martin. They're half your age. (laughs) (laughs) One of them follows me on Twitter. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, He listens to LBC a lot. Weirdly. Okay. And, <laughs> and when I had a, a show on that radio network, uh, he contributed once to a phone-in conversation that I was having. What about? Um, I, I presume Nigel Farage. I can't remember. <laughs> um, no, I think it was something to do with eating. Someone in the news had declared something about healthy eating and I'd said, what have you done to keep yourself fit or something, something, something. And he'd replied saying... I've spent a whole year without drinking or I don't eat chocolates anymore. Something that was a reasonable contribution. And Uh in fact, the fact it had come from a celebrity, I would have read it out on on air, apart from the fact that as soon as he tweeted that, there was then an avalanche of (laughs) 14-year-old girls going, OMG, heart, heart, Uh emoji of a puppy. 
not only could I not find his original tweet, I then couldn't read any tweets out for the whole live radio show oh, because they were adding you into the same y- yeah, tweet. The switchboard melted. Anyway, uh, the vampire bats were named after the creatures. After the Bram Stoker creation. Did he create vampires? He made vampires. Well, up, I mean, the, the, the myth of the blood sucking creature, which took quite a lot of different physical forms, including some quite bat looking ones, that myth was very widespread in different countries for. Uh, at least a, a, many hundreds of years. I was going to say, because vampire bats have been around longer in name and in identification of species, I would presume, than Bram Stoker's book. Bram Stoker's Dracula was published in 1897. Vampire bats, I think, were named around 1770 in Britain. They are a South and Central American bat. There are actually three types of vampire bat, but they are the only mammal that lives off blood. So it was an apt naming Oh, yeah. Otherwise, I think they wouldn't have been named the vampire bat because I think that is what they had in common with the vampires. But there is also um, a substance in their saliva called Draculin, which was named after <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's an anticoagulant um, and it's being tested for stroke treatment. Amazing. Yeah. I wonder if there's any character in popular literature of the last 50 years that is, you know, so monumental that it'll end up having animal species named after it. You, you could Ooh, imagine yes. something from Harry Potter. You can imagine a Voldemort totally. bat, couldn't you? Absolutely you can, yeah. or a serpent or something. Um, but I was a bit fuzzy as to whether there was the association with vampires becoming bats. But because I'm profoundly uninterested in vampires, I didn't look that far. Are you profoundly mm. uninterested? I don't care for the supernatural creatures that much. Where does it rank alongside your disinterest in novels and films set at sea? More or less interested in that. Except for I think more vampires. I I did enjoy True Bloods. Yeah. I have not a non-zero interest in vampires. Zombies are lower than vampires in my interest levels. Did you stick with True Blood all the way through to the bitter end? No, No. but that's also because Channel 4, on which I was watching it, did not stick with True Blood. Oh, I went with it to FX for a couple of seasons. I did not have the capability. Right. Um, But I still... I really enjoyed it. But the last series was bullshit. I wish I'd got out a series earlier before yeah. all the fairy stuff started. Fairies, yes, it was the fairies that okay, killed me. Okay, so here's the. So evidently, actually, I do like vampires more than I like fairies. <laughs> yeah. Hi, this is Toby from Eastbourne. When I was a kid, my mum used to really nag me about eating my crusts off my sandwiches, which I never did. Um, is there actually any fact that she told me eating the crust was the healthiest bit, or by not eating the crust was it actually better for me? I used to be uh, told that. Crusts would put hairs on my chest. And did they? I already had a really hairy chest, I think, at the point that I was being told that, so uh, it didn't make much difference. Well, you don't know. Yeah, there's no control experiment, is there? Your sister doesn't have any hair on her chest. Did she eat her crusts? I didn't know. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's just a thing your elders say to reduce food waste? Well, I think it may have uh, stuck around as a myth, quote-unquote, for that reason. I'd understand the logic of thinking that the crust of the bread would have the same composition... Uh, chemically as the rest of the bread because it's the same flour, it's just the outside of it. But actually, fairly recently, there's been some scientific research into this Mm -hmm. and actually, yes, there is evidence to say uh, that in the cooking process, Uh it being on the outside and all, uh, it does get cooked more. Uh (laughs) Therefore, it does have a chemically different constitution to the rest of the bread. Bread crust does have antioxidants. Mm -hmm. Uh, In one test in Germany, uh, they were looking for pronyl lysine, which is an antioxidant, and it was eight times more plentiful in the bread crust than in the other components of the bread. I wonder if that's dependent on which kind of bread. Does crusty bread have more of it than that soft bread? This was a sourdough. Oh, a very oh, crusty bread, usually. that's a lovely yes. crusty bread. Yeah. Whereas um, like, the square bread that comes uh, pre-sliced is often so soft uh, altogether mm. that... 
Okay. Yeah, so I think basically if the crust looks like the rest of the bread, it's not going to have a substantially different uh, constitution. Because mm-hmm. I always assumed it's because kids don't like crusts. Yeah, well, it's both, isn't it? It's it's both. It's a way of saying, eat all your greens. Yeah. You know, because it's always when you're a kid, it's with the bit you've left, it's always the bit they claim is the best bit for you. And it's only when you're older that you realise, oh, she just wanted me to finish the stew so she didn't have to chuck it in the bin. Yeah, yeah. but also they didn't want me to grow up thinking I could only have nice things because life's not like that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I don't have to do my tax return, mummy. Hi, Helen, Ollie and Martin the Sourman. We're eating a glittery Marks and Spencer's goo pudding and we wondered whether or not uh, the centre part of it, the glittery centre part, was the solid part or whether it was gooey the whole way through the cooking process. So the melt-in-the-middle chocolate puddings is the middle bit always melted right from the beginning? That's the question, isn't it? Well, no, not always, because in the case of the chocolate fondant, which in MasterChef they're like, oh, chocolate fondant, oh, that's a real risk, isn't it? Because, you know, if it's not liquid, then it's a disaster. Right, yeah. Chocolate fondant, so that's the one where you're basically making quite a runny form of cake mix. So the outside cooks into a cakey texture, but the inside stays liquidy because you put less flour in it so it doesn't solidify like a sponge cake. Less flour, and that's it? That's the only thing that keeps it liquidy? So it is a risk. It could go hard. Well, it's basically less cooked cake mix. Yeah, so that's the thing. That's why we're like, oh, it's so difficult because if you overcook it, then it's not runny. Um, but if you undercook it, then it's not cooked. So it um, never starts out solid. It's that the whole cake starts out runny. It's become such a phenomenon, hasn't it? The chocolate M&S started it, the chocolate fondant thing. M&S didn't start it in the world. It's, no, that, it's that's a my common, point. It's a common... Pudding. Yes, but M&S started this meme for like, mmm, chocolate in the middle. Mm, mm. It's oozing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a slightly pornographic photo. Because if you take a teaspoon wedge out of a gooey chocolate pudding yeah, and, it starts and then let the inside seep out, yeah. it does look like an open pair of legs. It, you know, does in, 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 it, though? As much as Shitting a, themselves. As much as a pudding can, yeah, a little I, bit. I, that is desperate, Ollie. I, well, that, that's you, what I see. You should just look at some real porn. Say what you see. Um, <laughs> I don't know how the M&S one is made specifically, but I do notice on the list of ingredients, after concentrated orange juice, which I imagine is the orange flavouring for the orange goo that is in the middle, there is gelling agent pectin, which right. is what they use in jam to make it uh, jammy. Uh-huh. Um, so I'd imagine they put that in there and it's probably a gel-like solidity until you cook it and then it becomes runny. That's what I reckon okay. with M&S. Mm. Okay. But I think there are probably ways you can work it so it could be solid. Like some people, when they're making them at home, they will make a runny filling and then freeze it and then plop an ice cube into the batter of the pudding before they put it in the oven. So the pudding bakes, the middle melts, so you have the runny and the cakey bit. So that's another possibility for your homemaking. I read the Good Housekeeping article on the best chocolate fondant rated by supermarket. Oh, yeah. How many did they test? Um, 400. Uh, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. They tested six. Uh-huh. Iceland was the best. Mm. Well, if anyone knows how to preserve a food, yeah, be them. This included like the taste the difference range and mm. the M&S one. You wouldn't think Iceland would be the tastiest, would you? Do they say why? Yeah, our panel of taste testers were looking for a pudding with a rich chocolate flavour and a gooey centre. The testers looked at flavour, texture, appearance and smell before giving each pudding an overall mark 
in our blind taste tests. Well, it's crazy wa- that's someone's job, isn't it? The Waitrose one had an amazing texture and taste, but it smelt of beef. It smelled <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Devil's in the details. But I, I'm the kind of person, I'm so easily swayed. I'm actually going to go now to Iceland. I mean, not now. It's nearly midnight. But There's I'm probably go one tomorrow. open in South London. <laughs> I'm going to go to Iceland and try their chocolate fondant because I'm a fan of a melt in the middle pudding. Because it sexually excites you. <laughs> it's <laughs> Parting it like a pair of legs and seeing all the goo come out. It's the change in texture. <laughs> really? It's, it's that roof of your mouth feel that you get from the inside mm-hmm. mixed with the naughty chocolate outside did you used to like sherbet lemons no for, for that thrilling sensation no oh okay but i see the comparison right a liquid center boiled sweet yeah yes okay yeah specifically liquid centers not yes busy. i like a liquid center exactly yeah okay i hate the opposite i hate a soft outside and a hard middle that can fuck off like a pip exactly if only peaches could get themselves <laughs> liquid centers they'd really be doing some business as right. it is second rate <laughs> Uh, that brings this episode of Answer Me This to an end. Ah, oh, but uh, there will be another episode uh, on the first Thursday of next month, March 2017. If you would like to be in it, then send us a question. All of our contact details, as ever, are on our website, answermethispodcast.com. And as perceptive listeners will have noted, we did not leave you completely alone in the month between our episodes because on your feed not on the website, not on SoundCloud, only on an RSS-delivered feed. Yeah, retro. Uh, You will have seen that we put up a retro episode of Answer Me This. Yes. With a little bit of commentary from us at the beginning, because going back and now having to reflect upon work we did many years ago is an interesting experience <laughs> so uh, thank you to everyone who got in touch to say you were enjoying listening to those as well and you spotted the comedian holly walsh asking a question on the very first instance of our phone line in that episode and there'll be another retro episode coming up for you uh, in the middle of this month but only if you subscribe to answer me this on one of your rss powered apps okay that's how you'll get it also we have our own individual projects as well for you to listen to we are all podcasters in our own right uh, i have a new one Oh, wow. Which, yes, that's right. Yeah. Thanks. Look at me. I'm really piling them up, New aren't podcast, you? Yeah. Podcast uh, today. That's Ollie Mann. <laughs> um, it started in January. It is called The Week Unwrapped. Uh, and it's me talking each week to three very clever people about the big stories of each week. But instead of just doing like a news roundup like everyone else, we do the three stories of the week that you may have missed. So they're, they're stories that might still have repercussions for our society in 10 years' time. But, I mean, for example, the week of the presidential inauguration, we talked about what the president of China had been saying. Oh. So that's the idea. Mm. Oh, cool. It's the big stories with impact that you might have missed. So you can find that uh, by searching for The Week Unwrapped on whatever podcast you use, iTunes or whatever, uh, or I'll put the links on my website, ollieman.com. And that is in association with The Week magazine, is it not? It is, yes. So if you like The Week magazine, yes. this, this is a podcast. And you like Ollie like, Man, yeah. which in- you probably do if you're still listening to this. Intersection of your interests. Helen, what uh, other podcasts would you like to tell the audience about? I'm still doing The Allusionist. And jolly good it is too. Thanks. Yes, it is good. <laughs> well i'm sold where do i sign up the allusionist.org uh martin uh song by song is still going we're talking about every tom Waits song in chronological order and we, where have you got to uh, we're about to start on heart attack and vine his 1980 r&b album but 90, you're only at 1980 yeah he, he really turned out good. the albums in his re- 20s my god yeah. so many so much good work you're gonna have a really good time it's not just for tom Waits fans lots of other good music on the show you know what a good time i had when martin and i went to los angeles at christmas yeah we went on a walking tour of places mentioned in tom Waits. Songs. yeah we had a norm's oh. patty mat as it as uh, name checked in eggs and sausage well 
you did. I'm sure that's something that you both equally would have chosen as a as a destination. I mean, why else would you go to LA? <laughs> uh, there's, not, there's not much else there. Uh, anyway, uh, all that remains is to thank once again Squarespace for supporting us on this episode of the show. Uh, and if you would like to support us as well, it's easy. Just go to paypal.me slash answer me this. Oh. Um, and remember, you can buy our old episodes and our albums and stuff at answermethisstore.com. But cool of you to give people the option to give us money in return for nothing. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, in return for the... Uh, Loyalty the yeah. and stuff your ears. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll be back next month, uh, but there will be that retro episode in between. Bye! Bye. Bye.